Just in review for our guests, we've been looking the last few weeks at the sovereignty of God and suffering. And we all go through suffering. As I've shared with the folks, if you haven't, you haven't lived long enough. It's inevitable that you will. We've discovered in God's word that God does use and plan evil to accomplish his will among men. Nixon's testimony of what's happened in the Philippines kind of illustrates that as well. But I'd like you to turn to Isaiah just for a moment and see what Isaiah has to say about that as well. Isaiah 14, 24. Isaiah 14, verse 24 and verse 27. The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, as I have thought, so it shall come to pass. And as I have purposed, so it shall stand. Verse 27. For the Lord of hosts has purposed. Who can annul it? His hand is stretched out. And who will turn it back? I think those verses are very obvious. That when God determines something, there's nothing that's going to change it. I admit, I cannot comprehend the sovereignty of God. But nevertheless, God has determined everything that takes place. We're going to develop that a little bit more as we go along this morning. But God's planned it. Nothing can change it. Because ultimately, there is good behind it. There's nothing good or evil. Whether it be in events or people that God does not ordain. The question may come to mind. And it has. Why does a good God use so much evil? Well, if there was no suffering, man would never take the seriousness of sin. He would continue to do what he's doing even in our suffering. He wants to redefine it. He wants to blame it on something else. Man has a terrible time admitting that we are in the jam that we're in because our sin God is here. All evil and suffering is a result of the sin curse. In order for a man to come to a saving knowledge of Christ, he must acknowledge that he is a sinner before a holy God. And man ignores or redefines our sinfulness. That was addressed in our Bible study this morning with the homosexual issue, alcoholism, drugs, all these things. We blame it on somebody else or we just don't call it sin anymore. And God's word is clear. Even in Job's trial, where the result of where the result of the sin curse, and Job's friends even accused him of some sin that he must have done to cause these things to happen. But we know that suffering was brought on by Satan, and we looked at that in the past. That Satan is allowed to do certain things, but not without God's control. We as believers have become desensitized to sin. We see it every day, and we tend to ignore it. I think it's even worse when you get into the bigger inner cities where you see a lot more of it. Yet God keeps suffering ever-present in our lives in order to remind us personally of the curse of sin and its effect on the human race. We don't want to allow ourselves to become desensitized to it. For it damages our relationship with Him. 
And remind you from God's word, it says that there is a falling away coming among the believers. I think we're already beginning to see that. The word is not being preached as soundly as it once was. So even for us among believers who tend to get careless with sin, God has to ramp up the suffering to cause us to stop and think. We have an advantage over the world because we can realize the consequences of what's taking place in my life. If we're honest with ourselves in some respects, is because of my sin. I'm only reaping what I sowed. The world does not understand that and won't look for that. So we need to, and we've examined that as well before. So one reason I believe that we might see the suffering of man continue to increase globally is because man is becoming more and more desensitized to sin, and so God is doing more and more to shake up the world in regard to their sinfulness. For if man continues to ignore his sin or redefine it, there won't be many that will get saved. Let's look at some examples in God's Word in regard to our choice. We've talked about the sovereignty of God. We see God is in control, but how does our choice fit into all this? It sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? God is in control, but I don't have any choice. But God's Word is very clear, as we're going to look at it today, that we are not without excuse. We are responsible for our choices. Let's begin by looking at Acts chapter 2 and Peter's message at Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. And if you're not coming to our Bible study on Sunday mornings, you're missing out on a great study. Mike's been teaching that, and now he's kind of divvying it out to some in the class, so we're going to hear from others as well. But uh, some exciting stuff is being discovered in Acts through this book, and I encourage you to come if you're not doing so. But in Acts 2.22, we read these words. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And as is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and offered to the, a sacrifice according to what is said to the law. And the pair of turtle does. And then verse 37. This is talking about Christ's crucifixion here. I'm in Luke. No wonder it's not looking right. I said, this is, this is fitting here. Yeah, same author, wrong, wrong address here. Let, let's try this again. I'm looking. I said, that's not what I read this morning. And when I re reviewed this, here we go. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. That should sound familiar from Sunday school this morning. Which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and for knowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Now verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said, and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Why are they cut to the heart? They were responsible for what they did to Christ, and they knew it. And it hurt. They knew it. The point was made with Peter. You crucified the Messiah. Now we know it had to be. Again, we talk about suffering. That suffering had to be. Otherwise, our sins would not be atoned, as well as his shed blood. But by God's plan, God was, Christ was delivered up to lawless men. 
And these men were responsible for the actions that they took. Let's look at another one in Matthew chapter 26 in regard to Judas. Was Christ shocked that he had a disciple among them that was a betrayer? Well, we know not. 26 verse 20. When the evening had come, he sat down with the twelve, and now as they were eating, he said, As surely as I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each one of them began to say, Lord, is it I? And he answered said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. And, he, and the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that mind by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. It was Judas' choice to betray the Savior. And the Lord knew about that. And in John chapter 6, we find that stated. John 6, 64. Make it further clear. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they would, who would not believe and who would betray him. The Lord knew, it was ordained, and yet Judas made his choice. In Acts chapter 4, just another illustration, Peter and John are in prison. And it states here that this is predestined by God. Acts 4, 24 through 28. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them who by the mouth of your servant David had said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. The politicians had gathered together, and we find here that it was all ordained by God, even though the politicians made these choices. So our practical application here is clear that man is responsible for his decisions. And these decisions, too, are foreordained by God. We have a God-given ability to choose, and we're the only creature on the earth that has that ability. Psalm 32 even challenges us not to make dumb mistakes. <laughs> he equates us to an animal here. Psalm 32, 8 through 11. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. So I guess when we're making big, bad decisions, he's calling us a donkey, <laughs> a mule. <laughs> a bad decision is being made. So we're encouraged not to think in that way. But man and his free will, our choices and the consequences, turn to Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. We are constantly encouraged by God 
to make right choices. And while you're turning there, I just want to remind us again, why does God want us to make right choices? Because ultimately, Almighty God wants a personal relationship with you and I. And if we're not obeying Him, we're not on the same plane. Deuteronomy 30.19, as he deals with Israel, he said, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you, that I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Choose a life with me that both you and your descendants may live. I think all of us here have been saved long enough to understand that when we're making bad choices, life's not going too smooth. And we want to blame our spouse. We want to blame our children. We want to blame our job. We want to blame that vehicle. We want to blame all kinds of things why life is not going smoothly. But ultimately, it's because we're making wrong choices. In fact, I've even learned that even in the difficult times, we can complicate it by not accepting it for the way God wants it done. It's a wrong choice. We try to reason why God would allow this to happen. Let's look at what I consider a great man under some very difficult situations as they're going into the promised land, Joshua. <laughs> Joshua, chapter 24. Joshua set a very good example for his people. Verses 14 and 15. We know that Joshua was the selected leader to follow Moses, to lead the people into the promised land. Now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods of your which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Clearly, he's presenting to them a choice. You can continue to worship those Egyptian gods, which they had at least 30. And after all that God has shown you in the last year and a half, and with all the, the plagues that took place, the parting of the Red Sea, the manna and the taking, feeding them and, and the taking care of them for 40 years in the wilderness. Now to me, it seems like a no-brainer. <laughs> I'm going to worship the God that's taking care of me and should displayed himself. But still, Joshua has made a choice and encouraged the people to make the choice. Because even in God's sovereignty, he... And he expects us to make the right choices. Proverbs chapter 1, and this is a great book, Proverbs chapter 1. Very practical book. Little practical tidbits here and there. It's not always organized well. I've, I've put together a study where I've kind of organized some of these thoughts. So if you want to find a particular verse in Proverbs on a particular subject, you can find it. I haven't got it organized and printed up yet, but for myself, I needed it. But Proverbs 1 says, Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Now, this fear is not talking about being afraid of like afraid of a monster. This fear is talking about a love and respect for God, an affection for Him. Man does not choose, for the most part, to fear God and respect Him. Same book, chapter 3, verse 31. 
says, do not choose a violent life. In fact, in, in uh, Mike's class this morning, what are some things that we as Christians need to resist? Violence is another one that we need to resist. Our world is full of it. And, and not just what's going on over there in the Middle East. A lot of wars going on right now. But um, how much of our television programs do we watch are full of violence? Uh, the ones that are at the theaters, the ones that make the big bucks, are the ones that are full of violence. We thrive on it. Man's always been that way. In the Roman Empire, they didn't put it on Hollywood. They actually did it. <laughs> they just took people to the Colosseum and, and enjoyed the actual bloodshed. They thrived on it. Today, we entertain ourselves with Hollywood. It's fake, but... There is so much violence in the world that people don't think twice about it anymore. They almost think this is a normal style of life. But Roman, or, uh, Proverbs 3.31 again just says, Do not envy the oppressor and choose none of his ways. Proverbs 16.16 16, Choose wisdom. How much better to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Now, if you study the book of Proverbs, you'll notice that there's three key words in this book. The three key words are knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Now, I want to take a moment to explain how these things fit in our own lives when it comes to our choices. Somebody's taking the time, and I don't know how they do this, but we make something like 3,000 decisions every day from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed at night. Most of them we don't even think about. You know, we don't stop and think about what cereal we're going to eat this morning or, or whether we're going to drink coffee or not. We just do it. But they're choices, nevertheless. But that's what the knowledge is. We take in knowledge every day in a variety of ways. What the understanding is, is we need to begin, and we do this. Again, we don't stop and think about it, but we do. We begin to sort out this knowledge. Hopefully, we're sorting out based on the principles that we know from this book. Again, like we were talking in, in our Bible study this morning, why have we chosen to believe that homosexuality is wrong? Just because of the facts that it's not good? No, our understanding is, the discernment is, we believe it's wrong because God's Word says it is. And so every decision we make needs to be based on biblical principles to help us sort it out. Now, there is no biblical principle as to what kind of coffee you were going to drink this morning. So there is somewhat of a, 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 a limit there. But when it comes to moral decisions, God's word is perfectly clear. There is no debate. So we go through a sorting process. As we share with the men on, on Thursday night in our addiction center, Job made a pact with his eyes. I will not let my eyes see anything that would be offensive. That's part of that sorting process. That's part of that understanding. I know there's bad things out there, and I'm just not going to let my eyes look upon them because it will affect the way I think. And then it will affect the way I look at life, and it will affect the way I do things. The third thing is wisdom. As we take this knowledge and we sort out basing it, our decisions on the discernment that we find in God's word, now we act upon it. If God's word says, thou shalt not steal, I'm not going to steal. And when we do that, that is wisdom. 
It's our choices. The choice we need to be making is, do I want the Word of God to be my guide? So I can make better choices. And in God's sovereign design, He allows these things to come into our lives. If we make bad decisions, God's going to help us reroute our decisions. He's a loving God. He will chastise us, as we've already looked at in a previous message. God will chastise us to help motivate us to make the right choices. And I believe from those circumstances, God intends for them to be extremely uh, big teaching moments in our lives. I've been teaching that to our parents in our parenting class that Sometimes, and I, I, if you raise kids, you know what I'm talking about. How many times did your children disobey at a convenient time? They seem to pick a moment that's just not convenient. But who ordained that timing? God did. So what better we be doing as a parent? We better be taking the time to take that teachable moment to help our children make the right choices based on that. Now, i got to admit as a parent, my kids never did their things on schedule or convenient. <laughs> but why would I get upset? Because I was being inconvenienced. Because at that point in time, i got to admit, it was all about me and not about my child. I'm watching this program, I'm reading the newspaper, I'm busy doing this. Don't disobey right now because i got to stop and help you. Now, I didn't literally say that, but in my anger, that's exactly what I was saying. Wrong choice. Wrong discernment. Not wisdom. But by God's design, His timing, that was the most appropriate time to teach my child because He ordained it for that time. It may not have done me much good, but it would have done my child a great deal if I had disciplined him at that moment by God's design. So we need to look at the things that come into our lives, the challenges that come. They're there by God's design, and it's perfect timing. And we need to see it as such. Isaiah 56.4, which should be our ultimate goal. Isaiah 56.4. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. What's our goal in life? Is to please Him. Everything we say, do, and think must be to please Him. And here's a challenge to these folks. Please Him. Please God. It develops our relationship with Him. Another one that we're familiar with in, in Luke Chapter 10. Two sisters. Christ comes to their home. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Christ to come to dinner? Now, I'm not sure they totally com comprehended who he was as far as all the aspects of his death, burial, and resurrection. But they knew that he was the Messiah. And can you imagine, these two ladies, Christ is coming to dinner. How many of us would like to have Christ for dinner? 
my wife really pulls out all the stops when you guys come for dinner. I wonder what she would do if Christ was coming. <laughs> I don't know how much more she could pull out, but... Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But look at the next verse. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Where was her focus? It wasn't on the meal. It was on the person. There's a picture, isn't there? How many times do we let the trivia get in the way of what's really, really important? Martha chose the thing. She knew who he was, and she wanted to be in his presence at his feet, and she wanted to soak in every word that this man said. She wanted to soak in every bit of the atmosphere of being in his very presence. Do we do that? Or do we get caught up in the trivia? Do we have the right forks on the table? Do we have the right dishes? Are the dishes set right? Are the, are the napkins in the right places? You can, you can know what Martha's going through. Everything's got to be just right because the Lord is here. And Mary says, I don't care. He's here. That's all that matters. And quite frankly, I don't think the Lord cares where the forks are on the right side and we've got the right forks and the napkins. I don't think He really cares. It's trivia. Choices. Mary made the right choice. The Old Testament encourages us to make right choices. Leviticus 19.9. Leviticus 19.9. Do not turn to idols, nor make yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord your God. Now, probably most of us here have never had that problem, have we? And this, perhaps, if you come from the Catholic background, the image of Mary and so on might have been an issue. But most of us probably have not come from a, a background where we bow down to images. <coughs> but how many of us have idols? It's not just an image, is it? An idol is anything that we love more than God. And what could that be? Number of things. It can be our job. It can be our position on our job. It could be a material thing. It could be our spouse. It could be our children. It could be anything that we put that is more important than God, such as Mary. What was, what was Martha's idol? Doing the dinner right. Now, it seems simple. <coughs> But her focus is not where it should have been. <coughs> we as Christians need to be constantly examining ourselves. What is hindering me from loving God more than anything? Because again, our key verse in this church, Mark 12, 30, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. That must be our number one priority in life. And anything that gets in the way of that is an idol. In fact, you've heard me say, and I believe it, most of us would agree. My biggest idol in my life is me. I want what I want. And when I want it and how I want it. And if I don't, I'm going to get mad. And I'm going to pout. And I'm going to take it out on you. I'm going to try to manipulate you to bow down and give me what I want. That's what we do when we get mad at each other in our marriages. 
We wouldn't want to admit that, but that's what we're doing. And Joshua, we won't turn there to that one, but we looked at some verses there, but don't choose folly. In other words, don't choose the things that are so unimportant in life. There are too many things that we put too much emphasis on that really don't matter. And they get us into trouble. There are consequences to our sin. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at this passage probably just about every week when we look at this because when it comes to our choices and our sovereignty of God, we need to understand how this all fits. God's word is very clear. Because I am my own worst enemy, because I am my worst idol, I'm going to make bad decisions. But in God's sovereignty, He's going to do everything He can to challenge me to overcome those things. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, we read, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the time past, that those who practice such things, in other words, this is their lifestyle, they live for that, such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now he said, well, I don't have any problem with adultery and fornication and uncleanness and lewdness, but do we have a problem with idolatry? Even sorcery. We don't, may not have a problem, but what about hatred? What about contentions? Of, an outburst of wrath. Is there any of us that can say, I've never been there with that? The consequences of our sin. But he doesn't stop there. I want us to look at verse 22, 23. If we make the right choices, we get the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I'll back it up. We don't get the fruit of the Spirit. We have the fruit of the Spirit. From the day we say, Lord, save me, I'm a sinner. The fruit is there. But the fruit develops. It, it becomes uncovered. Sin buries it. We don't enjoy it. But when we keep confessing the sin and dealing with it, that fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. Remember the last time you took care of a sin issue? That burden was just gone, and there was a sense of peace. You're making, allowing that fruit of the Spirit to develop. And again, I remind you, it's not a fact that we don't have to work on, well, this week I'm working on God. I want to work on getting that spirit of love. And this week I'll get that, and next week I'll work on the spirit of joy. No, the fruit of the Spirit is singular. We have all of them at the same time. And it's our choice as to what we're going to enjoy. The New Testament encourages to make right choices. Walk in the light, not in the darkness. First John, chapter five, or First John, chapter one, verse five. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light, and Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But we walk in the light as he is in light. And we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now who's he writing to here? Christians or non-Christians? He's writing to Christians. So we as Christians can deceive ourselves. And we must be very much aware of that. And it's our choice as to whether we're going to walk in light or in darkness. And what is walking? Walking is, is something we do automatically without even thinking about it. We, we just do it. Don't you wish our Christian lives would get in that kind of a habit where we never have to stop and think about what step we're going to take next? But that is our goal, is to work. And as, as you know, in our sanctification process, as we grow in Christ, we can develop more of a walk with Him. It's our choice. As we saw, we choose to walk in the Spirit. Paul encouraged the people not to worship them as gods. And we won't turn there, but in Acts chapter 14... They wanted to bow down to him because he was such a, a, a great Christian and, and such a great person. They, he would not receive that, but boy, he could have done that very easily. Can we worship people? Yeah, we can. And we've got to be careful that we don't. Because people will let us down, but Christ will never let us down. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, we must choose to turn away from ungodliness. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 5 having a form of godliness be denying its power from such people turn away what is a form of godliness well to the human eye everything looks good I'm going to church every Sunday I don't cuss and swear. I don't smoke and chew. And I don't hang around with those that do. And so I'm a pretty good person. A form of godliness. But underneath it all, there's secret sins going on up here. There's hatred. There's bitterness. There may be some involved in secret sins and in our world today among men and unfortunately among many pastors because of the internet pornography is readily available and we know and we've heard the stories of pastors who fall into that Paul or Christ called it whited sepulchers that's what he called the Pharisees they look good on the front they go to church every week very pious even fasted. Made sure everybody knew about it. They dirty their faces, dirty clothes, you know. Look at me. Aren't I spiritual? I, I am fasting. He said, don't let anybody know. Just do it. I'm the one that needs to know. That's what he's talking about here. Turning away from those things that we want the world... In fact, I wonder how many times we come to church simply because well, if I don't show up in church on Sunday, the people at church might think I'm not as spiritual as I think I am. Is it possible for us to be sitting here this morning and be sinning in the process? It is, isn't it? If we're here just to maintain an image, and we're not really here to take on the Word of God, it's a sin. I'm trying to maintain an image. It's not about Christ, it's about me. 
That's the form of godliness. And unfortunately, if that's our case, when we go to serve the Lord in whatever capacity God has in the local church, we won't be very effective at it. Because we're doing it for our image and not for Christ. It's choice. We need to be constantly evaluating where we're at and what we're doing and why we're doing it and making sure it's pleasing God and not ourselves. Scripture clearly teaches we have a choice. And we must take responsibility for our actions and not blame somebody else. Man's choices will be sinful. Due to our sin nature, our choices are always going to be sinful unless we're doing it for Christ. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. Man's mind is set to be sinful. That's why we see the world going the way it is. Now what's amazing, as we saw with Nixon's testimony, now this was a natural disaster that somehow God used to challenge people to turn to the Word. Obviously, uh, in fact, for our guests here, um, they've named their church after our church, Galilean Baptist. But obviously in that community, that, those people knew that if there is help and it's going to come from God, it's going to come from this church. And that's why they have all these new Bible studies. That's why they have the, these prayer things going on. Did Nixon sit down with God and make a plan? God sent us a flood. A really, really bad flood. No, he didn't. Aren't you? In fact, I think it was, I don't remember who it was. We were talking here a couple of weeks ago. I said, I really don't want to know the future. I'll just take it as God gives it. I don't want to know six weeks in advance that this is going to happen. Because what would we do? We would stew the whole time. <laughs> and we would even try to manipulate and get around it if we can. Because how many times if we're honest with ourselves, God, I think you made a mistake. God is incapable of making mistakes. We don't like suffering, but God will use it for His glory if we respond to it the way He wants us to. Romans 8, verse 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is empty against God, for it is not subject to the laws of God, nor indeed can be. So then... Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There's not an unsaved person, I don't care how good moral they are, that can please God. It's impossibility. Man is set on that. In fact, Vonda shared with us uh, Wednesday, her uh, grandson who goes to a high school here in Marion County, the English teacher challenged the kids with this. You bring me a Bible and I will show you how Satan is smarter than God. Hmm. Now where does that come from? The mindset. That's an English teacher at one of our high schools. How many others might there be? Now Vonda's promised she will have a conversation with that teacher at some point. 
and I believe she will. Again, back to what Mike was saying this morning, do we need to resist that? Most certainly. Do we need to stand up against that? Is that a pleasant thing to do? No, but it needs to be done. But that's the mindset, just a simple thing in our own community, how the mindset is set to be sinful. We are greatly influenced by a world that is saturated with the temptations designed by Satan. John chapter 8, 44. John 8, 44. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father who you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. Isn't that what's behind every sin? Somehow he convinces us, I'm missing out on something if I don't participate in the sin. It's a lie. And we choose to believe it when we give in to the sin. It's our choice. We're giving in to the temptations of Satan. And as we've mentioned before, Satan is not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. But he really knows how the brain works. He really knows how humanity thinks. So all he's got to do is flood the world with all these sinful temptations. And he knows because of the sin nature, man is just going to continue to succumb to it. And we do. And we see it. And even ourselves as Christians, we give in to it. But we don't have to. Because look at John 8, 34. Christ understands where we're at. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Have we ever been a slave to sin? Are we slaving to sin now as a Christian? We, do we have some sin issues that we're really wrestling with? It's possible. It happens. But we have a choice. We don't have to be a slave to that sin. We can be a slave to righteousness, it says in, in Romans. And only by the shed blood of Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, can we have victory over sin. Until the day we said, Lord, please save me, I'm a sinner. There's no way that we have a choice. But now we do. It's all because of the blood of Christ. Verse 36. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now you know how the world wants to interpret that verse, don't you? I'm free to do whatever I want. Yeah, that's true. But what this verse means is, now that I'm saved by the shed blood of Christ, I am now free to do the right thing. I now have the capability to make the right choices. For we choose to be for or against Christ. Titus 1. Titus 1, 15 through 16. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Again, we see the choice, don't we? 
They profess to know God. Unfortunately, in this world we live in today, there's a lot of that, too much of it. We're born this way. We won't turn to Psalm 58.3, uh, but simply states that we're born this way. We're born to please ourselves. Uh, who's I talking to? This last week had a six-week-old baby. and Oh, no, it was Stephanie was sharing me at the center. Had a new baby come in, six weeks old. And at six weeks, she did a pretty good job of showing her selfishness already. Now, you, you know mom and dad didn't teach her that. I mean, how many of you raised kids? And how many of you taught your kids how to do something wrong because you didn't want your kids to be any different than the other kids on the street? Where did they learn that sin? It was inborn. From the time they were conceived. Guaranteed we're going to sin. It's inevitable. So how do we make the right choices? Again, the sovereignty of God, I don't understand it, but we've got to believe it because the scripture says so. John 6, 44. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they shall be taught by God. They shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now, I believe that what this verse is saying is God draws all men to himself. Because Romans chapter 1 makes it perfectly clear that when every human being stands before God, no one's going to have an excuse. So if God didn't draw them, they could say, well, God, you didn't draw me. They'd have an excuse. Every human being that has ever existed, God in some way or form has drawn them to himself. Romans 1 makes it perfectly clear. When they knew God, every human being knows there's a God. And let me put it another way, because it fits the context of that verse. Every human being knows there is a divine creator. They know that God had to put this here. Deep down in the evolutionist even believes it. He just won't believe it. <laughs> he just denies it. Why? Because as one evolutionist told Ken Ham on a video, if I acknowledge that there is a divine creator, that means I'm responsible to him, and I am responsible to nobody. That's almost word for word what that man said. That's why man wants to believe evolution, because they know that if they're responsible to the creator, they're responsible. <laughs> God causes us to walk right. I remind you again of Hebrews 12. We're not going to look up Ezekiel there, but Hebrews 12. God chastises us. God brings us to the truth. James chapter 1 verse 18. God clearly has given us a choice. And again, I remind you what's the basis of love if it's a choice. We choose whether we're going to obey God or we're going to choose and we would never think, I'm not going to follow Satan. But if you're not following God, you're following Satan. There's only two choices. And I like to make it more personal for myself because I don't want to blame it on Satan because when I make poor choices, it's all about me. It's not about Satan. It's all about me. Now we're all familiar with Joseph's story in Genesis 45. So where is the sovereignty of God in that? 
His own brother sold him into slavery. His mistress accuses him of rape. How fair is that? He ends up getting thrown into prison. How fair is that? I wonder how many times in Joseph's life he was asking that question. God, you said that at some point in time, my family is going to bow. I don't understand how this is coming about. Another one of those situations, I wonder if it would have been different if Joseph said, Lord, you better give me the plan here so I can go along with it. No, he had to take it one day at a time. But Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. The brothers made sinful choices. What they did was sin. It was wrong. And they suffered guilt for years for what they did. Don't you love it how Joseph played them for a little while? But you know why he played them? He wanted to bring them to a point of repentance in their heart. He wasn't just playing to be mean. He was trying to bring them to a point of repentance because he knew that was vital to renewing their relationship with God and their relationship with Him. Yet God is using these choices to fulfill His plan. Isn't it sad that man is so evil and so corrupt that God has to ramp up the suffering to get people to fall on their knees? Some of you, and I've talked to many individuals, that God has had to bring them into a particular situation that was horrible. But because of those horrible events, they came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, compared to eternity, is it worth all that suffering for one soul to escape the fires of hell forever? We may not see it that way because we don't like suffering. But God sees it this way. I love you so much, I will do whatever it takes to help you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.19 He's not willing that any should perish. Even at that, unfortunately, the majority of mankind is still going to go to hell. But everyone that goes there will be because of their choice. And those of us that are going to glory is because God enabled us and drew us to Him and enabled us to make that right choice. And today we need to be thanking God for that. In God's sovereignty... <laughs> Even though we can't comprehend, and I, I can't, I don't even try anymore. How does God's sovereignty and all these things and my choice fit together? I have a little pea brain, I can't figure it out. But my God's big enough to know it, and that's all that matters to me. And I trust Him to be my sovereign God. So even though we may not comprehend how it all fits together, we have a choice in how we think and how we believe. And due to the fact that we're born with a sin nature, the only choice that we can make is sinful until we get saved. But God desires our relationship to be very, very special. And through these trials and these sufferings that He sends in lives, it is to push us closer to Him and draw us closer to Him. Now, if you and I find ourselves drifting away from God because of the suffering, 
Whose fault is it? It's not God's. We are not responding to the suffering the way God wants us to. What's a child do when they're hurt? And those of you who are mothers, you know, don't they? They run into mommy's lap and they want to be cuddled. They're hurt. They're suffering. Do we do that with God? Are we, the first thing we want to do is run to God and crawl up in His lap and let us put His arms around us and feel that security and know that He still loves us and He helps us with the pain? Does He understand our pain? Absolutely He does. And what better place to run? You ever had to submit a child to surgery? I never have, but there's some children, no doubt. And I've known children that have had multiple surgeries. I cannot imagine what it must be like for a child, for a parent to tell a child, not maybe this blunt, but we're going to have to cut you open. And it's going to hurt. And you're going to hurt for a few days afterwards. I hate to submit you to this child, but I love you and I have to do this. Because for your health, this is what's best. Folks, our God is doing the same thing with us. I don't want to hurt you, but I know what's best for you. And I'm going to submit you to that, but I'm going to be there with you. And I'm going to support you in that pain. I'm not going to run away from you. I'm going to be there with you during that pain. And so we better be running to God with open arms and taking Him in. And so I don't understand. But God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for helping me during this pain of pain. And may I glorify you because you suffered for me so I can have the hope of eternal life. Thank you, God. Help me this side of eternity to do what I'm supposed to, to glorify you. That is my goal in life. And he will enable us to do that. And we will find peace in that suffering when we're doing it with him instead of fighting him on it. Let's pray. Father, you're an awesome God. We can't comprehend this sovereignty. But there's no doubt that it's there and it exists. And we cannot comprehend how our choices here just somehow fit into that. We know that all this suffering that's going on in the world is because of the curse of sin. Some of it we have no one to blame but ourselves because we want to persist in sin and we reap the consequences and then you love us enough to chastise us. But God, we also understand that there's something to take place that there's no sin involved. But it's part of your sanctification process in our lives to help develop our love and appreciation for who you are. And Father, most of us, many of us would have to admit that sometimes when we come out the other side of that suffering, we see you more clearly as a bigger God than we ever dreamed possible. And God, we know we don't have to understand. 
All we have to do is trust you, know you, and love you. Help us, Father, to do that. We live in a sin-cursed world. The suffering will never go away until that new heaven and that new earth is created. And oh God, how we long for that. But help us to be found faithful in these last days and endure the suffering as you endured for us. We might glorify you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.